ZPAC, ZDogMD, Dr. Vinay Prasad, VP. Pleasure to be back. What is up, son? It's been a while. Listen, just having you here is gonna get me canceled on Twitter. Well, I hear had, that, yeah. I've had doctors, oh my God, VP blocked me. He said stuff about kids and he's not a pediatrician. Oh boy. Can we cancel The Atlantic for featuring his piece? What, what, what even did you talk about in The Atlantic? Yeah, I've seen a lot of calls to unsubscribe to The Atlantic. Uh, they must have lost, I don't know, 10 or 15 readers over this. Um, but uh, uh, what did I write? Um, I wrote an article about the case for masking young children. Of course, you know, in this country that the AAP and the CDC says mask kids too uh, and on up. Uh, and even though the WHO says don't mask a child under six. And I wrote an article about what do we know about masking school-aged children? And I think people have overstated the evidence. We really don't know a lot. And we don't know if it slows the spread of the virus in schools. Um, and we really don't know what the long-term downsides might be to these kids. And so that was the article. It was written in The Atlantic. Um, and uh, people people got a little hot under the collar. It, it was purely saying we haven't scienced this up. <laughs> Correct. Can we talk about that? Correct. It's not saying, oh, don't mask kids or whatever, whatever, whatever. And you know, a lot, a lot of people reach out and they were like, well, but you know, has does VP know that kids get sick and he's not a pediatrician, so he doesn't understand that we're seeing these kids in the hospital. And and yet these are in areas like the areas where the most aggressive masking stuff is where the highest vaccination rates are, where there's already a cocooning effect from adults being vaccinated, but yet that's where like the, the most outrage seems to be. Yeah, and I think those were two of the points that I, I heard. Uh, one of the points was, um, uh, you know, uh, there are many kids being hospitalized right now in some states. Um, and my counter argument to that is the, the point I'm making about masking the kids in school is if we really don't know if that helps and if it turns out that that doesn't help, then you can be spending great deals of political capital getting that to happen. And you will still have the problem of the kids coming in to the hospital. And if you really want to reduce that problem, you got to do things that work and not things that merely appear to work, but you don't know for sure they work. And so that's why I'm pushing for cluster randomized trials. The next thing I'd say is, you know, he's not a pediatrician. Well, true, but one can't train in everything. Um, <laughs> but what is VP's skill set? VP is uh, somebody who studies the evidence and the quality of medical evidence empirical appraisals of medical evidence. That's what I've been doing for 10 plus years. Um, and that puts me in a very good position to judge the evidence here. And also many pediatricians agree with me. In fact, probably the majority of pediatricians in Europe agree with me. And that's why the United Kingdom has never masked a child under the age of 12 in their schools as a mandate ever through Delta wave, through nothing. They've never done it. They've never masked a caregiver taking care of a baby in daycare in the United Kingdom in the entire pandemic. So our masking policies are far beyond our peer nations. And that is not justified by good evidence. And that's the point of my Atlantic article that, you know, rubs some people the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, I've lost three viewers over this VP for having you on. You know, you know what's funny is kids are smarter than us. I'm just telling you, I mean, they're dummies. Like they do really dumb things, but they're way smarter than adults. Because my, my, my 13 year old comes home, by the way, finally back in school. Because guess what? She's in public school in the Bay Area yeah. and they've been shut down forever. But yeah. guess what? The private schools have been wide open because- it's always this two-tier system. It's a two-tier system. Yeah. So she comes home after the first week of school and she's like, dad, I have a question. So they make us mask in the classes. I have no problem with that. Kid, they, they, honestly, they don't care, right? They don't care. They right. wanna see their friends. They, they don't care if They'd they- They'd rather be in school than be at home. Of Dude, course. They, my kids are so happy. It almost brought tears to my eyes. They're like, oh my God. I, I dropped my 10-year-old off at her, at, at her elementary school. Again, public, all public. She, she, she runs, I see her run to this gaggle of girls and they're hugging and chest bumping. And I'm like, God, it makes I, you wanna cry. I gotta say this. I mean, I think that what that shows you is that this last year where it was closed, 
That was one of the greatest policy failures ever. Of all time. Of all time. Of all time. It didn't need to be closed. And what we did to these kids, it serves no purpose. Anyway, we could talk about it. None of it, none of it. So so she comes home and she's like, dad, so I have a question. So they make us mask in class, that's fine. Then for lunch, we take our masks off. We sit like this, like sardines. We're spitting and shouting at each other and sharing food. And the very next period, they send us outdoors at our Olympic sized track to run a mile with mandatory masks on. And That's actually right. she had to stop and like tripod to catch her breath. So she takes the mask off. Her PE teacher yelled at her for taking her mask off, but they can shout at each other this close at lunch. So she's like, "Is this? does this make sense? Is it scientifically valid? And I'm like, what do you think? I think what you're highlighting is a terrible story, but it reveals the naked contradictions in our policy. I mean, the American Academy of Pediatrics policy on masking two-year-olds is that they wear the mask in daycare, except the two hours they take a nap and sleep side by side in a room, often with limited ventilation. So what am I to think? Does the virus take a nap too? <laughs> what am I to think of these policies? I mean, are, are people really alleging that everybody in the United Kingdom, they just don't love or care about children, that people in Norway don't care about children? Because these policies are very different in our peer nations and other nations that Surprise, surprise, they care about children too. The reason their differences is we have never invested scientific capital in studying to learn if which of these policies helps. I think it's fair to say, it's very plausibly the case, that masking outdoors didn't help anybody because outdoor transmission of COVID is so fleetingly rare. Even with Delta. Even with Delta. Yeah. Outdoor transmission is not the place where it's happening. Uh, that's one. Uh, two, children. Children have much lower risk of acquiring the virus and lower risk of bad outcomes. Um, there's an elegant study that Alistair Monroe tweeted from the United Kingdom that looked at the risk of hospitalization for COVID based on whether or not you're vaccinated and based on your age. And it really shows that kids under the age of 18 who were unvaccinated or kids under the age of 12 were unvaccinated, their risk of being hospitalized with COVID is less than a 40-year-old who was vaccinated. So why are we imposing such burdens on them if the 40-year-old would happily go to a bar, happily fly across the country, happily go on vacation to Hawaii or wherever. Why are we imposing such great burdens on children? It's irrational. Um, and I guess that was the thesis of my Atlantic article. Some people were able to uh, process it, um, but other people revealed, I think, an inability to hear things uh, and see things and read things that conflicted with their pre-existing views. And so just like they canceled their subscription to The Atlantic, I suggested that they really need to cancel their subscription to their eyes and ears because that's what's gonna reveal information to them that they might not like. That may be contrary. Maybe contrary. That may be contrary. <laughs> yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's, um, it's been frustrating because the other criticism I think that you get a lot, I get it sometimes too, is that why are we so contrary? It's like everything we say is contrary to whatever mainstream is saying. Everything we say is contrary to what media is saying. Is it just that we're contrarians? How do you think about that? Because I know how I think about it. I guess what I would say is that that's, um, uh, if you were to make a map of all the views I hold, you would find the vast majority of those views- Are mainstream. Are mainstream. <laughs> yeah. Why do we spend time using our uh, talents, if you'll call them talents or our skills, uh, focusing on uh, some I, issues? I, I prefer burden. <laughs> um, <laughs> <is a> burden. <laughs> into burden of knowledge. Um, exactly. <laughs> but why do we focus on some issues, not other issues? Well, there's a lot of issues that are irrational views held by irrational people. We could beat our head against the wall on them, but we're not gonna change their minds because they are irrational people. Right. There are a lot of rational views held by rational people. We could um, preach to the choir. We could become cheerleaders for those views. But again, we're not going to be changing anyone's mind or pushing anything I, differently. And, and we'll just be adding to what people already say or believe. I believe we call that virtue signaling. Yeah, we call that and virtue signaling. The, yeah. With the irrational, you know, talking about irrationality in irrational people, that's just, that's futility. That's futility. So what are we doing? So what we're doing is we're picking issues where rational people, people who are normally 
um, thoughtful, careful, willing to reconsider their views are holding your rational beliefs. Yeah. And, and that's why I put my energy because that's where I feel my talents are best served. And in this case, I think it is not, I, I don't know what, how long it's gonna take, but very soon people will wake up and they'll say, did you know that for 18 months during this pandemic, we literally masked two-year-olds in daycare for the majority of the day. And did you know, we never ran a cluster randomized trial of masking kids. We actually have no idea if that slows the spread of SARS-CoV-2. Their compliance is quite poor because the compliance of adults in very carefully watched settings a paper from JAMA that appears about stadium use shows compliance is three out of four, even when you're watched and you have to do it. What is the compliance with two-year-olds? What is the benefit of masking when they take it off to nap? Um, and and where is that magic age? So the other thing I, I, I cited in my Atlantic piece was data from Catalan uh, in Spain, where the mask mandate started at six, and they show the rates of SARS-CoV-2 at every age group. And so five, you know, they're not doing it, and six, they are doing it. And, and, and you see the line. And this is a classic type of study design called regression discontinuity, which means that if you implement something at an age cutoff, what you should see is a step down. Like there should be a hot hit to the risk could be going up, up, up by age. And then you get to six, it goes down because the masks have an effect. And then it goes up, 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 up again. But what you see is a very straight line and where you put the masking had nothing to do with the spread of SARS-CoV-2 by age suggesting that we might be doing this, it might make us feel better, but it might not actually slow the spread of the virus. And so then the thing I'll connect it to is if somebody's going to say, you know, VP's message is putting kids at risk, that is contingent on the idea that you know for sure this works. And my whole message is you don't know for sure this works. <laughs> do the things that work. And to do the things that work, you have to apply science. Ah, science, what's that? Yeah. I haven't seen science in a while. Wait, I know so what hashtag science is, <laughs> and I know what hashtag- Follow the science. Follow, I know what follow the science, I know what hashtag science, I know what science communicators on Twitter are. What I don't know is who's a real scientist left. Yeah. I don't know who they are. Yeah, 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 it's very hard to find. Tell me about this uh, Bangladeshi mask uh, study that everyone's talking about. Yeah, so I think, uh, first of all, it's an impressive effort. A cluster randomized control trial, 600 villages, 300,000 people, randomized to one of three strategies. One, the usual care strategy, do nothing. Two, cloth masking. And a third strategy of a surgical mask. Mm. Um, and what they found was, uh, the primary endpoint of the study is, if you have symptoms consistent with SARS-CoV-2, you are invited to submit blood and we check the blood for antibodies against, against the virus. Mm. Okay, so serology confirmed symptoms. There's a secondary endpoint of just having symptoms, but it turns out that most people who just have symptoms, they actually don't test positive for the virus. So that's not a very useful endpoint. That's just like, do you feel like you have symptoms? Right. The better endpoint is like, do you feel like you have symptoms? And like, did you have COVID? And what they find is that if you did nothing, the rate of SARS-CoV-2 in this community at end of study was three quarters of 1%, 0.76. So three quarters of 1%. If you wore the cloth mask, it was three quarters of 1%. It was 0.74. No statistical benefit from cloth masking in this arm, despite a 30 percentage point improvement in masking. Surgical masks was statistically significant. It was 0.67. And so the moment I saw this study, I thought, boy, we screwed up because we have been recommending cloth. the wrong mask. And we could have recommended the right mask had we done this study earlier. And the last thing tied to kids, the mask kids wear, guess what mask it is? It's a cloth, it's a cloth mask. mask. Right. So what, what people are willing to tell me is, you know, we know for sure that kids benefit from masking, even though they're not just little adults. They're not just mini adults. They are different people with different behavioral patterns. Um, and But the mask they're wearing is the mask that didn't even work in adults. It's a bizarre claim. Wow. 
You know what's crazy is from the early days when I was quite skeptical of cloth masks, like very overtly skeptical in the very early days of the pandemic, I said, I mean, I think cloth masks are garbage. This is all intuition based. Of course. I think cloth masks are garbage just because they have wide pores, the virus is small. Surgical masks, I mean, that may be a thing, but of course they don't wanna spare them from frontline clinicians. So what's the point of even doing anything at that point? And then Monica had the theory that, well, at least you reduce maybe a little bit of this. So maybe you still get infected, but there's an inoculum. I got suspicious the moment someone told me I could take a dirty sock and cut the heel off and have a mask. <laughs> that was a clue for me. <laughs> like, it's like, well, so I can, I can basically make my face look like an ice cube video from the early nineties. <laughs> and somehow that's gonna prevent this, the spread of this, right? So again, it's, it's, it's rational people behaving irrationally is where we're pointing out. And I guess, I mean, the Bangladesh study, it can do a lot of things right now. I wrote that article about it. And one of the things like I said is right now, the CDC should go to their guidance and do find and replace in every place that says cloth mask deleted and put surgical mask. Yeah. Because no matter how you feel about this issue, if you're the most ardent mask proponent or even the most vigorous mask skeptic, why would you continue to recommend the mask that was inferior to the other mask? <laughs> Just at least let's recommend the better mask in this study, right? Can we at least agree on that? And spin them up production wise. Yes. Right. Now, I think there are other problems, which is one, this study was adults only. So uh -huh. I don't think it extrapolates to kids, end of story. Mm -hmm. Two, um, this, is a this is a study that occurred in a population with a 0% vaccination rate mm -hmm. and probably a baseline zero prevalence. We don't know for sure, but it's probably very close to zero because it was three quarters of 1% at the end of the study. So it's mm -hmm. gotta be pretty close to zero at the beginning. Um, does that extrapolate to San Francisco? with a 80% one first dose vaccination rate? Does it extrapolate to, you know, highly vaccinated states like California? Right. I don't know. Right, it may extrapolate to Alabama, but it won't, yeah. And and, and it may extrapolate to Alabama before they've, 30% of them had to have had COVID already. Right. I mean, what's their serial prevalence now? I don't know. It's it's gonna be higher with Delta. I mean, Delta's like the great serial prevalence equalizer. <laughs> like everybody gets it. Yeah. Well, so here's a question. So uh, apply the same thinking to the new Biden mandate, say, about vaccines. Mm, now, what? Okay. how do you rationally think through the mandate? Because I think about it fairly emotionally. And mm. my emotional thinking is this, and I've done a video on this, which is why are we giving up on actually having rational conversations with people? Because when you do, when you come from a not that, follow the science, you're killing grandma, the shaming and all that, they, uh, my experience is they actually listen. Like you said, you're never gonna convince the irrationally irrational, yeah. they're beyond hope. but. The rational people that are maybe behaving in a way that isn't um, in their best interest, according to what we know about vaccines, you can sit down and go, okay, let's align on morality here and, and belief and, and come to, a, come to a, a decision based on understanding and compassion. I, I really firmly believe that that works because I see it in my email box all the time. What's your, now what's your rational breakdown of the mandate and does it, is it a good idea? What's going on? Yeah, so I guess it's a good question. The way I, I view it is that what he's doing is he's applying a lot of pressure on people who are unvaccinated to get vaccinated. And he's mostly doing it through employer-based mechanisms, either through OSHA or direct through his federal purview. Um, and the threat is loss of employment. And the way I view it is, you know, you can argue from a legal point of view, you can argue from a, a, a rights-based point of view. I just argue from an empirical point of view. Yeah. So I think about how many Americans are there. There's 330 million Americans. How many Americans have already gotten one dose of the vaccine? I think I checked a day ago, it's 209 million Americans. How many Americans have already had SARS-CoV-2? And it's really difficult to get that answer right. because we have- We've screwed up, to be honest with you. We haven't measured it. How, how what a negligent society, to be honest. <laughs> it, I think it's total CDC negligence. They should have been doing serial, serial prevalence this whole time, so we should be able to go to a dashboard and find the answer. I looked on their website and they have a very crude estimate. They say, you know, maybe 20%. There's another paper in JAMA Network open about dialysis patients, about 18%. 
So, you know, presumably, ostensibly, maybe, you know, 60, 70 million Americans have already had the virus. Well, there's at least 40 some million cases logged into the database as like like they actually sought medical care. But there's probably this huge bottom part of the iceberg that we don't know. And of that, what's the overlap between people who've had COVID and who've gotten vaccinated? There's some overlap, mm -hmm. but there's also some difference because people who may have had an actual infection, which by the way, you've been good about, it's really good, mm. right? Um, many of them have not been vaccinated. So I will conservatively estimate another 40 million people um, have natural infection and they have some immunity from that. Um, and then the other thing to point out is that 50 million Americans are under the age of 12. And so they can't be vaccinated no matter what you do. Yeah. And so we're talking about 30 million Americans um, and that's about 9% of the population that the mandate could potentially impact. But there are a few more things to discount. One, retirees. You know, if you're retired, you're largely under, you're not under the thumb of these policies. You're not policies. mandatable, yeah. You're not mandatable. Ironically, you're the people who are most at risk of the virus. So that's the population they really need to go after. Um, the next thing is that the curve never plateaued. I mean, it's still going up and up and up. Like people are, every day, somebody's deciding to be vaccinated. That never stalled. And so the question is like, how much more will the van mandate push beyond the people who would have otherwise gotten it anyway? And so, so, so I boil at the end of this, I come to what's the maximum upper bound percentage that all these policies can do, how, what more people are going to get vaccinated. And what about those people who are going to quit their job and get pushed out of the workforce? That's the especially in side. healthcare, especially yeah. in healthcare. Some of these places they can't afford anybody. Right. Um, and I, I, I say three to seven percent is my guesstimate for what he might be able to achieve with all this brute force pressure. Right. And I don't know about what people will will leave the workforce. Probably less than one percent. But the bad consequences of those people are going to be tremendously bad consequences. Like they're going to have a, a, an entire. They have like a death sentence on their life. Like you know, where are they going to work? Are they going to be employable? How much unemployment they're going to require? Are we going to give them unemployment? You know, uh, are we going to? Oh, what's going to happen to their children and their ability to feed their family? And and how? And are you going to make them more politically isolated? Who are they going to vote for in the next election cycle? Are they going to be angry? Are they going to lash out? Will it be acts of violence? And all these things are like the negative, unintended consequences of this policy. So I put it all together, and I think just as a pure policy analyst, it's not inherently convincing to me that this is a wise strategy, um, I guess I'm not sold. Yeah. That, see, that, that, that to me makes a lot of sense, because, but, but it, so, and what we don't talk about is, is the real emotional reactance cost of that action. So we're saying, okay, Biden's gonna go and signal that he follows the science and, we're t and he says literally, We've we've been patient. We've 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 held your hand. That was not good. And you refuse to listen. He's telling rational people this as well as irrational people, right? So what happens when they hear that? A concept called emotional reactance that was actually seen in the 1918 pandemic with masking. People, when they're told what to do by someone they don't like or trust or an authority figure, they can they can they can react in a way that's like pushing it right back. And I'm seeing this by email. Yeah. People saying, "I was going to get the vaccine." And then this guy says, well, you either do it or you do it. And, and, and now I'm like, I, I know it's irrational, but I don't want to do it. Please talk me down from the ledge. You know, it's yeah. crazy. And I guess one thing to point out is like, you know, you and I have a certain standpoint where we're trying to use reason and uh, explain the risks and benefits and tolerate some differences of opinion. Right. And tolerate um, some unvaccinated people. Yeah. It's just part of what happens. It's going to happen. Yeah. Like some people are just not going to do it no matter what you do. That's right. Unless you want to like do very horrible things that will hurt society more than it helps. Exactly right. Um, uh, and yet we always get emails. My, you know, our inboxes are full of people who are like, I got vaccinated because of your that's sort of right. mantra. That's, that's right. And I think with Biden, one of the things we have to, I, I, the truth about it is like, he is very frustrated. I get it. But is he, but why is he frustrated? 
He's facing uh, inflationary spending that's going to happen. It's about yeah. 5% of inflationary spending. He he entered the office with this idea that that last guy, he didn't follow the science. And that's why this thing has gone on too long. <laughs> I can end this thing. But now look at it. You know, he hasn't ended it. Yeah, it's gotten worse. It's gotten some, worse. Yeah. Um, so I think from his standpoint as a politician, he feels this, uh, he, he feels nervous about, about the situation. And I say this to somebody, you know, I, I've said this before in this yeah, podcast. You're a progressive. I, I'm a progressive. I'm yeah. far on the left on most issues. I've written two books that are, if you read those books and you think about drug policy and if VP's world of drug policy went through, that is the most progressive agenda you'll ever hear. So I'm a progressive and I am sympathetic that government can be used as a force of good. Um, but I do think we cannot discount the fact that um, the president is under extreme political pressure. Um, and, and, and the faster this ends, uh, quote unquote ends, uh, the better it is for him. Um, but I think that there will be consequences for these actions that may not manifest themselves in two years or three years or four years, but maybe in 10 years. And that's not oh, good yeah. for society. Oh, and it's, it's, I don't think it's good for the Democrats because what's gonna happen is all these emotionally reactant people, yeah. they're really fired up. I mean, they are pissed. And what's and, gonna happen if like there's a new booster that's a different MRA construct. And right. let's say hypothetically, it's actually pretty good. Yeah. And are they gonna have the political capital to mandate that? Nope. No, I nope. think they've, they've burned they've it all. burned it all. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. So people will say, well, but we mandate seatbelts, but we mandate childhood vaccines, yeah. but we mandate, you know, PPD for healthcare workers, but we mandate, you know, so how do you think about that? I guess what I would say is like some of the mandates are like occupational mandates where I think that they um, have, uh, you know, that that's one arena, but the other arena that's probably more fitting is like the societal mandates, like seatbelts and like childhood vaccines to go to school, et cetera. Um, uh, th those, those did work, but they didn't work in six weeks. Mm. They worked over the course of years. And I remember as a child, we had a policy and uh, don't, uh, don't go after my mother for this, uh, but uh, our policy was, you know, seat belts are only necessary in the front seat. Right. They weren't necessary in the back seat. Right. That was just the attitude. That's right. When I grew up. I jumped, bounced around the back in a station wagon facing, rear facing in a Buick estate wagon, bounced around without seat belts. It was, and only started wearing seat belts later in life. I think like some of our seat belts in the car, like they got stuck in the crevice of the seat and we right. never found them. Never again. found them. <laughs> and they don't even have a shoulder belt anyway. Yeah. So they would have bisected you anyway right. if you got in an accident. I think right. those, we had like a Dodge Caravan that if you got hit, like it'd throw you out the back seat, oh, like out of the street, right? That's you know, it's awesome. like one of the yeah. classic flaws. But right. I guess my point here is that, yes, it is possible to use these kind of compulsive forces to change behavior, but it doesn't happen overnight. And this thing needed to happen quick. Yeah. And sometimes when you need things to happen to quick, um, you know, these brute force things are just not gonna do it for you. Yeah, that's it. Because by the time these things actually were to work from those incremental, which by the way, I'm not even convinced needs. Yeah, I'm not convinced. You know, because what's gonna happen is people are also naturally gonna alter their behavior. Like I think the Delta wave did encourage a lot of vaccination and then it levels off and so on. And it's natural human behavior. Delta wave will come down, something else will happen or not, right? And this will push its inevitable march to endemicity where, I'm not even sure you would need a vaccine because every child who's born was gonna get it is gonna get age. naturally infected and then they're gonna have immunity by the time they're a teen. No one's gonna die of it except the rare, rare person that would die of a cold, yeah. right? I guess I think that some of the things that are different now in terms of the thinking was, I think people had this kind of magical idea in January that once we get to 60%, the virus will just go away right. or something like that. And I think now we are settling in for the realization that whether you've been vaccinated or not, in the course of the next seven years or 10 years, this virus is gonna meet you. You're gonna, you have a date with this virus. Yeah. You can get all the vaccines and boosters you want. You have a date with meeting this virus in the course of your life. That's what an endemic virus means. Now, I'd rather meet the virus when I've been adequately vaccinated as I have. So I wanna meet it on that terms, Right. Um, but I'm not gonna avoid meeting it. And I guess this blends into like what's going on on college campuses and this delusion. 
Yeah, tell me about this, what's happening on college campuses, because I, I feel like we have, again, taken rational people and caused them through fear and unreasoning and tribalism to behave irrationally. Yeah, so I mean, I don't have a good explanation for what's going on because what I think- What is going on? What are they doing? What is going on? Like, yeah. what is going on? Like, uh, many of these college campuses have required everyone to be vaccinated, everyone to be masked in classes. Um, in fact, I've heard it's so stringent that if you're in a class um, and you want to take a sip of coffee, you should, you're not even allowed to lower your mask to sip the coffee. Like, you know, <laughs> you're not allowed to. You have to go in the hallway and sip the coffee. I would quit college. What was the- Dude. College was all about sipping coffee loudly in class. You need it. I mean, yeah. this is the mo one of the most addictive substances on earth. I need exactly. it. Exactly. Um, okay, you're not allowed to do that. Um, we need to get a cigarette after this, by the way. Speaking of addictive, <laughs> you really want to be addictive. We don't smoke, though. We don't. We but don't. but really, we want we to. really don't. We want to be cool. Though. I guess, I mean, yeah. I wish I were cool. I'll never be <laughs> so that. So speaking of cool, back to college. Back to college. Back to college. <laughs> um, test weekly uh, or, you know, some stringent testing of an asymptomatic population. And what they do is when they have test positivity, they're just enacting more and more rules. Brown, you're not allowed to have indoor dining, only takeout dining. You're only allowed to hang out with like two other people. There's some college in Connecticut that I think it's like incredibly draconian. You can't, you have to wear a mask outside. You have to wear, Duke, you have to wear a mask outside. Um, At Duke? Vaccinated, asymptomatic, masked person outside. What are we doing? And here's the thing. These are pockets where they're doing extreme measures. And then you go off campus. And everybody's like, I mean, in Duke, you think North Carolina? That come on, come on. And, and here's come the funny. Here's the funny. Thing. We think, oh, this is just these, you know, college campuses. Stanford University yeah, they Medical Center. Yeah, My wife tells me now that if you have, first of all, you have to be vaccinated. Of course. So that's fine. Whatever. Second of all, you have to mask. Fine. That's cool. Whatever. Surgical mask. Hey. Third of all. You have to test every week. Yeah, I know. I, every week. And here's what I think people are missing. Like. Somebody was like, um, you know, like it, it gives me comfort to know that you're testing negative every week. I'm like, sure, you may feel more comforted by it. But the question is, is there empirical evidence that by, as a result of doing this, fewer people are getting sick? <laughs> and the answer is no. And we have forgotten these companies have hijacked their way into doing this. These companies have bamboozled all these college administrators into paying for this. Offering, testing. offering models that suggest it'll make the campus quote unquote more safe or that if you didn't do it, you'd have an unmitigated oh. disaster. Parents are buying into it as well. Where is the empirical evidence? Where is the randomized studies that this actually does anything? And some of the people who are vocal proponents for this are consultants for or being paid by these companies. This is the same problem we have in the pharmaceutical industry that I've written about. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, I don't say this to, uh, I mean, I say this because it does, uh, the, the evidence is frankly lacking. And what is the goal? Like these college kids are going to encounter the virus over the course of seven to 10 years. What are you trying to accomplish right now? Somebody says, well, we don't want to exacerbate the Delta wave. The Delta wave is not in liberal Connecticut with a 90% vaccination rate. The Delta wave is not on Stanford campus right now. The Delta wave is in places where they're not going to do this because they don't have the political capital to do this. You know, so the places mm. where they're making your daughter wear a mask running outside are not places suffering in the throes of a, of a Delta wave. They're not places where the hospitals are at capacity. The places where that's happening, they're not doing those things. Yeah. So what is this, what is this schizophrenia we suffer from? It's... um. It's all, I, I really think that so much of it is just tribalism, virtue signaling, trying to show this kind of hygiene theater. You know, we went, we just went downstairs there and we had to put our masks on. We're both vaccinated. We, people are like all awkward in the elevator. The whole thing is- We went to get a cup of coffee. How many times did I take my mask on and Put it on, touching your face, putting the mask on. Looking it's, for it in my pocket. But both of us highly vaccinated, you know, it, it's- um, With strong immune systems, so we probably make really good titers. 
Oh man, my <laughs> antibodies, dude! I could just smear them on the wall. I got so much extra. Speaking of which, tell me, tell me about this this FDA booster. These two two cats at the FDA. You, you so by the way, your YouTube channel. People should check it out. What, what? How do you find it? I don't know. It's Vinay Prasad, MD, MPH, or something like that. Vinay Prasad. Just search Vinay Prasad. Something very catchy. It'll like. show. <laughs> VP, MD, MPH. It's it's it, you're, it, it's really like get, getting um, a lot of attention because you talked about these two FDA. They're not just randos at the FDA. No, they're 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 two people that really matter. Um, they are the 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 head and the deputy head of vaccine research and review, um, uh, Philip Krauss and Marion Gruber, and they both resigned. And it's been reported in multiple news outlets that the reason of the resignation was political pressure by the Biden administration to approve boosters on a very fast timeline, and that they felt that that was unwarranted. They published in the last week in the Lancet a long and stinging rebuke of 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 the case for boosters. And I guess I across could, the board, or or just with the they're focusing on healthy people. Boosters. Healthy people, right? Yeah. I mean, so far the boosters have an EUA for people who have had solid organ transplant or a quote equivalent immunosuppression. That's a high level of immunity. Correct. That's like no immune system. Yeah. Yes, it's not somebody with just a touch of asthma. Right. Or an elderly person, even. It's not. It's yeah. not. But I mean, I think in clinical practice, people may be stretching it. Right. But it is certainly a very high level of immunosuppression. The immunosuppression that I encounter on, you know, on bone marrow transplant service around, you know, somebody who's gotten B cell depleting therapy, but not the average person. Um, now we're talking about boosters for the average person. That's a different ball game, yeah. and I think it's a very, a very um, important discussion because we're going to be talking about millions and millions of inoculations. There is a potential for benefit. It's theoretically possible a booster will lower the risk of severe disease. It's also possible that that's more likely to happen in an eighty-year-old than a twenty-eight-year-old. Mm. Um, it's also possible that there's going to be some more adverse events you did not anticipate, such as myocarditis might be a little bit higher with dose three than dose two, and it might preferentially affect boys in a certain age group, just as it has with dose two. Mm. And I think when you want to approve a booster, you really need to know that the upward benefit exceeds the harm. Yeah. And I think the whole point of these articles is that we don't know. And we're basing these kinds of decisions on a lot of fragmented, confounded data that comes out of Israel of vaccine efficacy that has a lot of problems with it. Yeah, well, what's wrong with that data? Because Monica was talking a little bit about it. They only used Pfizer. They vaccinated everyone all at once, yeah. three weeks apart. Yeah. Yeah, and- I mean, uh, I guess there's so many problems. One problem is like, you know, like we don't vaccinate all people equally. We start with the frailest and oldest and vaccinate other people last. And so right. if you look at vaccine efficacy at nine months, who got who got the vaccine nine months ago? It wasn't 20-year-old people. It was the oldest people. I see. Okay. So that's that one thing. The second thing is, is like the people you're comparing it against, vaccine efficacy is the ratio of rates of infections among those vaccinated against rates of infections among those not vaccinated. But among those not vaccinated, as time goes on, a higher fraction of them have natural immunity. And right. so they cannot be infected. But the real efficacy of the vaccine is if you have not yet been infected, is it better to be vaccinated or not vaccinated? And what's the probability of benefit? And so they're not always capturing the thing of interest. Um, there's some other confounding. Um, there's the challenge of, the, the other challenge is like now they're giving boosters. And then they say, well, like people who got boosters are less likely to be infected than people who didn't get boosters. But who are the people who are eager to get boosters? That's not the average person. It's right. the person who's the most prudent, meticulous, fearful, reluctant to go out. You know, they have different behavioral patterns. And so this is all really there's one solution. Oh, sorry, go on. Finish no, I was going to say, yeah. the, the, I can confirm that the people who are interested in boosters are the most anxious, most fearful, most masked up, most living in a bubble. Most people. on Twitter. Most on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'll, I will literally get emails that are like, I'm, I'm 35. I was vaccinated in January. I've been living in a bubble, even with the vaccine. Yeah. Can, when can I get a booster? Do you think I can get it off label? You know, it's that level of fear. I mean, I have sympathy for these people because I think- Well, we've generated a fear. 
fear of contagion. Yeah, the yeah. media has done it. Yeah. You know, I think that I, I wish that like everyone could like see that graph that Alistair Monroe tweeted from this UK study of like risk of getting SARS-CoV-2 by vaccination status and by age. Because you see this huge gradient by age and you have to put in perspective like a vaccinated 20-year-old person, a vaccinated 30-year-old person, an unvaccinated child, your risk is not the same as a vaccinated 80-year-old and unvaccinated 80-year-old. That's a catastrophic risk. Yeah. You know, you need to see these risks and think about it um, in terms of your life and other things, risks you tolerate, uh, life will never be zero risk. And you can't let the media's sensationalism drive an irrational decision that takes away something important to us, social connections and- Social connections. And getting outside. Yeah, which has a huge cost when you take it away. Depression, all these things, they, they actually manifest physically in, form, in the form of health. You had said, okay, we have a solution for this, the way out of this, we're talking oh, about the Israeli data. What was that? I think it's a randomized control trial where you just take a lot of healthy people and you randomize booster, no booster, and you see is there reduction in hospitalization. But what we learned today was in documentation that's gonna be presented this week at the vaccine uh, advisory board, uh, that Pfizer is, is making the case that they are going to try to justify a third dose shot based on an uncontrolled study of boosters and people who've gotten two doses using the antibody titer as the endpoint. Ah, yeah, yeah, and it's a non-inferiority study, so they don't have to be better than you were after dose two, they are just non-inferior to what you were in dose two, which I think is an incredibly soft endpoint, weak analysis, historical control, just not acceptable in my mind for the widespread vaccination of millions of people. Wow. And, and this is why, and this is not exactly why, but this is, this is the issue over which these two people resigned. And these are people with 30 years of experience at the FDA. They, when they resign, it's a big deal. If they resigned under Donald J. Trump, the internet would have broken. It would have been so many tweets and angry, <laughs> the whole internet would be down. Cause that's how angry, but because it's happening in this administration, people are not getting worked up about it, but it's a huge deal. I mean, you cannot run a political system that puts so much pressure on these people that they resign. I just don't think it's acceptable. I think it's a catastrophic error. <laughs> you know, Offit, uh, Paul Offit came on my show a while back and asked him about boosters. And he says, he does not think that it is a good idea that Borla, the CEO of Pfizer is coming out and saying, yeah, we're planning a booster. I remember that. In the absence of FDA. The timeline was, that was the first thing Borla said it, they got pushed back from CDC and Fauci. Then they had the meeting at the White House. Right. Then the Surgeon General came out and said it. Fauci came out and said it. And then the FDA said, hey, easy tiger. They walked yeah. it back in the New York Times. I mean, it's been quite a roller coaster ride. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly, we had been worried all this time that the the heavy hand of politics is going to weigh on the FDA. This is the moment. This is the moment. This is the this moment. This is when it's happening. This is when it's happening. Right. This is when it's it, happening. It's the equivalent of if 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 Trump had somehow pressured FDA to approve the vaccine before the election. He wanted think to do it. Of the, yeah, he wanted to, I know. But think of the shit show it would have been, right? Like uh, the left would have lost its mind. Um, you know, and no one would no, no one on the left would have gotten that vaccine. Not, not a one, they would have been like, well, this is a Trump vaccine, I'm not doing, but now what's happening is, it's to say, well, no, we need a third shot. In Israel, they're talking about a fourth shot. And this is all Pfizer, by the way. Yes, right. <laughs> this is all Pfizer. By the way, I'm team Moderna, just because I just, I, again, I didn't <laughs> choose Moderna, stock. Moderna no, chose me. Yeah, I own stock. <laughs> it's just, you know, NIH, I don't know, or a German company, I'm a jingoist. I'm like, USA, baby. <laughs> but but it is really distasteful what, what we're seeing. And those two resigned because of it. And this was something that you talked about, I think, very eloquently. I mean, it's been in multiple news outlets that that was, the, that was at least one of the key reasons. It would be great to have them testify. And then I guess what I would say about this booster is like, this is the threshold. 
what will be the fourth booster, fifth booster, sixth booster? If the endpoint is non-inferior, non-inferior then, antibodies, yeah. then, then there's no end to it. There'll yeah. be 100 boosters. Well, what do we really care about? We care about people getting sick, yes. hospitalized, dying, even infection. I've said this. I don't care. No. It's just going to speed it towards endemicity. And, it's one, a, and one more point about hospitalizations. Um, uh, David Zweig has a nice article in The Atlantic about like the threshold for hospitalization has fallen. Like among hospitalized patients, the percent requiring oxygen has declined over time. Like we're hospitalizing less sick people over time. Oh. Oh, so I've felt that too in what, right. I've, what I've heard. Because like everybody seems like, well, I spent a week in the hospital just because, you know, yeah. my sat was 92 and they were like, we want it to be 95. That's so like, at least 92 is worse than like, some people spend the week in the hospital, 96, 97, uh, 98. Because you know, you know yeah. science. Be safe. Right. But I guess I think you're, head, you're hitting on a point. The booster, the colleges, these, uh, th- these policies don't make sense if your worldview is, we got to live with this virus forever. Right. It's going to get us in our noses. The best thing you can do is the is get people some vaccine in them, um, uh, uh, or some natural immunity, so that they have better fighting chances of when they re- encounter it again. Um, I'm, and again, I want to be clear: I'm not endorsing people like go see, out and have a party out, right, with no, COVID. Yeah, that was silly. That would be silly. I'm not endorsing <laughs> that. What I'm saying is that if they happen to have already acquired it, yeah. you can ease up on the on the massive vice like pressure you're placing on them. The jackbooted thug on yeah. your neck. Yeah, you can <laughs> maybe settle for one dose, settle for a right. compromise, make some antibody that you give them some credit. Even Israel allows them to get their pass if right they, immune right. passport. Right. Yeah. So we don't have to crush them with right. this. Un, you know, that's that's not not going to. And they hate it, by the way. I know. Yeah. And I guess I do. You've been feel through bad COVID. You've I been know. through COVID. And then they're saying, well, you got to get two doses of this thing that's going to make you feel crap. How is this follow the science? I no, mean, no. I really want like, let's just, let's pick a, a, like an example. You have a 16 year old boy. He's had COVID. He recovered from it. And you're going to tell him he needs two doses to attend public school, which is what some districts are doing. How is that just? I think that's barbaric. No, that's no, that's no. insane. And you know it's what it does? So it drives the most vulnerable people to the disease, like we're talking about people in the South, high obesity levels, lots of metabolic disease, African-Americans, Latinos, these populations that are skeptical of this thing, right? Then they say, well, now you gotta get it. What's natural immunity? I don't know what that is and so on. Follow the science. Well, now they're even driven further away because of the psychological reactance and the distrust, which is actually deserved because these guys aren't following what 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 rational people ought to do in this situation looking at risk. And you mentioned earlier risk. Nobody looks at risk for themselves accurately. Right. Half the emails I get, people just misapprehend risk. The other half, they're saying, listen, I'm at no risk because I'm 50, but I'm ripped. Like I, I run a, a mile a day, I do this and that. And I'm like, well, but even that, you gotta understand it's an age gradient. Yeah. You can be in the best shape as a 90 year old and still die of COVID. Right. So. We, we, we really ought to be spending our time talking about that, educating that compassionately. And, and the other problem is we're so tribalized, we think our side is good, the other side, pure evil. How's that gonna function in the world? Because it's not accurate. Maybe we should talk about that Mandrola, Tracy Howe, Galley Krug paper. Tell me about this. John Mandrola, really rational cardiologist out of Kentucky. Genuine good guy. Genuine good guy. Genuine good guy. We followed each other for a long time on Twitter. Thoughtful guy, super nice guy. I've actually hit him up for a, like, cardiology advice for like my dad who has AFib and Mm. like he's just a really good clinician who's one of those guys who does not do something unless it's It's indicated. indicated. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, these four authors were very interested in the rates of myocarditis. 
um, particularly for boys, particularly for younger people. And they performed an analysis of the vaccine surveillance database um, that uh, that came out with a rate of myocarditis after dose two of one in 6,800. That was their rough thing. What they did was they got all the reports. Mandrola, I think, as a cardiologist, adjudicated the reports. They're looking for people. The time course fits. These kids had elevations in troponin. Um, they may have had electrocardiogram disturbances. They may have had MRI, but not necessarily because not MRIs don't fall from trees. They, uh, you know, they're not easy to get at a cardiac MRI in a child. Um, okay, so they, you know, they had their standard, the thing that one of the authors I think made an app where he put all the like reports in the app. So like you can go and like check to see if you like how they code it, or if you don't like it, you can code it however way you want to code it. And they published this preprint. And I think um, it was a good and uh, noble and well-intended effort to try to estimate this thing. And the end result they get one in 6,800. Well, you know, that's comparable with Science Magazine reported that Israel said the rate was between 1 in 3,000, 1 in 6,000 in a few months ago. Norway says the rate is about 1 in 10,000. Um, there's a paper out from Ontario government, Ontario province in Canada, that says for a slightly higher age group, the rate was 1 in 3,800. My point here is just that their estimate is, you know, more or less in the same ballpark of many other estimates from many other countries with many different authors and many different data sets. Now, these are higher estimates, though, than what, say— has been pitched by CDC or whatever, one in 30,000. Uh, yeah, but I, uh, okay, I think, th th yes, but I also think like, uh, it's been a while since I checked the last CDC estimate, right, right, right. but I thought it was like one in 14K was like the last. Oh, okay, yeah. And I guess I, I would say like, it's actually like, when you start talking about these kinds of numbers, it's like, it's just not it, like substantively high. Yeah, these aren't order of magnitude differences. Right, yeah. it's not order of magnitude difference. Right, That's a good right, put, right. way to put it. And I guess, okay, fine, they have their estimate. And you know, like all these estimates, you know, it's not perfect. And you know why? What, what the, the, like who should, we should be angry at? How do we live in 2021 and we can't even know this answer. Like we should be able to like actually know this answer, right? <laughs> right. And like- Well, it uh, generates distrust because then how do you trust the VAERS database if you can't even figure out how prevalent myocarditis yeah. is? How are we, are we missing other side of, I don't think we are, but I, the question is- People feel that way. People feel that way. I yeah. mean, we just don't have a great surveillance system. And like one of the limitations of VAERS is that it's easy to attribute things not due to the vaccine to the vaccine. That's right. But the thing that they did as a strength was they got this cardiologist to look through the reports and in his best judgment, is he does he think it's related? And you know, it turns out that kids don't just have spontaneous troponin leaks all the time. Right. So, I mean, you know, he's got some things going for him. Anyway, I, I don't want to belabor the point about the paper. That's not what interests me. What interests me is the response to the paper. Mm. You know, it's an estimate in line with other estimates. It draws attention to this fact. This is something that needs to be studied. In fact, there's at least six post-marketing commitments, I think, that to study this, including one where they measure random troponins in kids um, to look for subclinical uh, uh, myocarditis that doesn't even present. Um, this is a big issue. Um, and, and also the reason it's so important is that the risk of the virus as you go down in age, it falls by like a fat order of magnitude as you go down. It's a log fold slope. Mm. Um, so these small risks really do matter a lot in decision-making. Um, and anyway, so they, they publish their thing and then the, the, the backlash comes on Twitter. Um, you know, they're anti-vax, I've heard them called. Um, some people said that like, if you miss, if you quote unquote misuse VAERS, which I don't believe that they misused it, but that you should lose your medical license, that they should lose their medical license that, wow. um, you know, and then uh, then it gets even worse. And then I thought one person was like, I won't even have a beer with John Mandrilla. I was like, you won't even have a drink with the man? God damn. <laughs> you hate John straw. Mandrilla. Yeah. yeah. And I guess what I think is, is like, I'm really troubled that, that like, these aren't just bots and they aren't just, Wackadoodles. No, these are big people on Twitter. These are like real doctors, real Didn't... colleagues, and they've lost their shit. They've lost it. <laughs> They're so disinhibited. They're so <laughs> locked in their worldview that they think this guy should lose his medical license. I mean, 
We're in a dark place. Well, they did the same thing to Jay Bhatt, Jay Bhattacharya in the in the beginning with his seroprevalence study. I think they're still after him. They yeah. should, oh, he should yeah. like be banned from Stanford. Oh, yeah, or, yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and the medical boards are putting out letters to their people at ABIM, which by yes. the way is, is a corrupt, horrible- I know, I follow Wes on Organization, this. yeah, yeah Wes and, yeah. and Paul Tierstein, who's been on my show. Um, they're a money generating entity that's just all pure, just corruption as far as I'm concerned. And again, you know. Take take that with a grain of salt, but I get angry about it. Yeah, um, yeah. They say don't spread. They send out and say you can't spread misinformation. And what does that mean? I guess like <laughs> yeah, like uh, you shouldn't sell a crystal to ward off COVID. Sure. Okay. But can John Mandrola have an intelligent discussion about the rate of myocarditis, even if you disagree with his rate? I think that's fair. Yeah. In fact, I think we need more of that. And if you if you come after this guy's license, if you call him names like this, first of all. Not a lot of people have as, as thick a hide as John Mandrola. Let me talk about this guy's hide. I see this dude just get abused on Twitter. And you know what he does? He just says, thank you for your feedback. I, I swear <laughs> right? to God, yeah. I've, never seen, good guy. I've yeah. never seen someone get beaten so hard and then just smile and yeah. thank the person. Yeah. And you know, I, I, that's just that's just how, how much um, emotional reserve and how much um, identity he has, like how yeah. comfortable he is in his skin. Yeah. But that's not everybody. And there are a lot of people out there, fellows, residents, junior faculty, mid-career faculty, and they don't have any, they don't have a hide like that at all. Right. I mean, you call them one thing, they it takes it to heart and they can't sleep for a week yep. and they never want to comment again. And we have driven all those people out of the conversation with yeah. this lunacy. Yeah, yeah, whatever this med Twitter thing is, which I don't participate in. Um, you I, know, and I want to talk about this med Twitter. because Yeah, I'm gonna, please. I'm gonna, oh, by the way, one thing. Go ahead. Mandrola yeah. versus Mercola. So Joseph Mercola. Oh, yeah. He's a crazy guy. Right? Crazy guy makes, mil no, he's crazy. Oh, okay. I'll say it. I don't know. He's, I don't know enough. He's not crazy. He's actually not crazy. He's very smart. He makes millions selling into the anti-vaccine establishment. He's like one of these cult people and has made millions, has hundreds of employees in Florida. Like the city of that 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 that, that has all these employees wouldn't censor him because he's an economic force there. Oh, really? So this guy can say whatever he wants, keeps his medical license, keeps whatever board certification he has. I assume he's board certified. Mandrola gets threatened by, you know, someone like Jen Gunter online and says, you should lose your license for doing a study. Um, does this make any sense? Again, rational people behaving rationally versus an irrational, irrational. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we, we, there, there's no shortage of people who say things that don't make no sense at all. Right. Um, and, uh, and they're over here. Mandrola is a legitimate uh, a participant in a legitimate debate about risk benefit at, 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 at magnitudes that the human brain, we have to be honest, we're not good at thinking about one in 10K risks. We're not good at 100K, one in 100K risks. We did not evolve to really be adroit at one in 100K risks. You have to play this ball game of very rare risks and rare, rare to be good at it. And I think a lot of the people that, who, are, who are chiming in, who are throwing stones, who are carrying the pitchforks with the mob, they don't play this game. And I'll say one more thing about Med Twitter. I gotta say this, Med Twitter is out of control. I mean, yeah. Med Twitter, it was a good, it was a good force pre-pandemic. Why is Med Twitter good? Like it was a lot of people who got behind a lot of things that I agree with a lot, mm. which is like our society has to be more fair. It has to be fairer to people who are poor and people who are marginalized. The pharmaceutical industry, they have led to notorious excesses. They're taking a lot of money. Um, and vaccines, childhood immunization is one of the great boons of society. And it's done a lot of good. And so I think those are some core tenants that like, we all believe in. And so I was like, you know, my book, Ending Medical Reversal, is probably like, you know, within the, the philosophy of hashtag med Twitter. And, you know, my book, Medical Malignant, is also within the philosophy. Yeah. And I agree with all these things. But when you faced with this pandemic, there are a few things that have been turned on its head. The pharmaceutical industry, which was once awful. 
they came out with this breakthrough mRNA vaccine in a time span you would never have dreamt of. It was amazing. Yeah. But now they're trying to push the booster and you know, they're trying to take advantage of it as they do. That's their business. That tiger is a tiger, my friend. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and vaccination is wonderful again, but this time it cuts differently. It's most wonderful in the oldest people. And as you get younger and younger, 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 the potential balance of harms and benefits, it gets to Shifts. one to 10 to the power of five and one to 10 to the power of six and one to 10 to the power of seven. And people brain don't work good at one to 10 to the power of seven. They're just not used to dealing in this world. And Mandrola is coming in with his own point of view and he's trying to kind of add something here. And med Twitter is falling back to the old algorithm, which is childhood vaccination good, childhood vaccination good. In fact, here's a few ways in which they've been so distorted. I tweeted previously, maybe about a month and a half ago, that people should not vaccinate children off label while these studies are ongoing with a lower dose. And some people said, you know, what does he know? He's not a pediatrician. What does he know? He's, a, you know, and then they go on and on. And then they, 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 it becomes a referendum on me. They're like, you know, where does he work? What does he do? What does he eat for breakfast? I was like, dude, it's not about me. It's about the, this issue. Um, okay. Uh, okay. So that, so, okay. So then, then they said this. Then a few weeks later, the vaccine got full approval. So now they, if they wanted to, they could, but then the AAP says, don't do it. The FDA says, don't do it. And they don't have the wherewithal to recognize that, hey, VP, a guy who studies drug regulation, drug policy, and rare adverse events, and has done a lot of work in this space, um, he was right about this. <laughs> Instead, they have some new thing that they're angry with me about. Right. And you know, in five years from now, I know what's gonna happen with this masking kids issue. We're all gonna come out of this thing and we're gonna be like, Jesus Christ. What did we do? What did we do? And we didn't even know of masking two-year-olds. We didn't let babies have caretakers see their face for like 18 months. And we never did a study. Like we really screwed up. Screwed up. That's not what I was going to say. But. <laughs> it, it, it's, um, you know, it, what, what's happened is again, it's rational people behaving irrationally and not knowing it, not, not having, not seeing it, no, not seeing no insight. It. And, and you know, this is the thing, like I, I've, I have a little prayer I tell myself and I'm not a religious person. I, my prayer is, let me always be uncomfortable when it becomes clear to me that I've deceived myself. Like that's one thing where I wanna just really feel pain. Like, oh my God, I self-deceived on this. Like I, I missed something about my own bias that I didn't put out there, that I didn't say, oh, this is my bias, right? And um, that's not something that's conditioned into us. It, it's, it's, it's the opposite. It's like, we wanna self-deceive as much as we can, as long as we fit in the tribe that has the same self-deception. So yeah. this vaccine thing is a great example. And I was part of this before COVID. I was very much in that, hey, if you're, if you're anti-vax for kids' vaccines, you're out of your mind. Like the data, we have this, right. come on, this is, you're out of your mind and I paint it with that brush. Then COVID happens and I see the same brush being used to paint right. any subtle questions right. about that. I've been called an anti-vaxxer right. on know, Twitter. I know, we've all been. It's like, are you kidding me? But I guess, you know, like I, I think they're doing a disservice because if everybody who has any nuanced thinking is an anti-vaxxer, yeah. then who are you standing for? Yeah. You're standing for like vaccinated all cost prior to data. Right. I even think like they've gotten, they've gotten over their skis on kids five to 11. We're running a randomized trial. When you run a randomized trial, if you want to approve it now without the randomized trial, just approve it now. Yeah. But we're running the randomized trial for a reason. You have to look at the results of the randomized trial. They've already judged it in the court of public opinion. I've seen every day I see people say, when is it coming out? When is it coming out? Yeah. No, the question is, what are the results? And yeah. let's consider the results. Yeah. That's a scientific point of view. Yeah. And why are they so eager for vaccines for five to 11? The New York Times has some story like parents are desperate for it. They're right. desperate for it. They're right. desperate for it because of the New York Times. Right. You're misleading <laughs> coverage that sensationalizes the risk and you're doing it because you you are benefiting from this. And many of your journalists, for all their talents and their 
incredible wizardry with words. They're not good at 10 to the power five, 10 to the power seven, and 10 to the power eight of seven risks. They're just not good in that ballpark. And so I think it's a huge, a huge problem. It's a huge crisis. Like part of the reason why people are pushed away from mainstream science is this heavy handedness when it's not appropriate. Um, and I think Mandrilla's treatment, I think is despicable. I mean, I really do. I, 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 I'm embarrassed by it. I'm embarrassed that, you know, I will say I've gotten a bit of it. And I, one thing I wanted to tell you was about this thing where somebody said, like, it's not just the bots. It's not just the random people. I found like a full professor of medicine uh, at the University of Michigan said, like in some tweet thing about me, like, I know what his problem is. He did his undergraduate at Michigan State University. And, and I, was oh like, my. I was like, first of all, I'm proud to have gone to Michigan State University. Yeah, great go, school. go green. Um, <laughs> and I had a lot of fun there. And yeah. I enjoyed the best. And, and, and I'm saying like, you can't like, why are you mad at me? You're mad at me because you think that we don't need a cluster randomized trial for school-aged children. You will be wrong. I promise you that you will be wrong yeah. in a few years. I know I'm right. Um, however, you're not taking it out on the issue. You're taking it out on like my alma mater, which by the way, a lot of good people went to that school yeah. and uh, they're not gonna be too happy with you. And this is a professor at a, at a you know, like how disinhibited are you? How anxious and broken are you in this moment that you are saying this publicly like, that's not gonna, that's not good, dude. Oh, that's just straight insanity, man. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Again, I wouldn't I wouldn't mention ever publicly that Pierre Corey graduated from a Caribbean medical school. Like that was not something that would be, even be on my radar to say. <laughs> now listen though, speaking, okay, that's insane. Yes, I mean, that's, that's not why he's wrong. Right. But right. I mean, what is he wrong about? I mean, well, we'll find out. He's, but, we should do the trials. That's let, what let, our position is. Yeah, let's, let's talk just quickly about what's happened with ivermectin in the sense that Okay, you and I have- I haven't kept up on a lot, but neither, I- Neither have, okay, okay, Neither have yeah, right. It's less about that. Yeah. It's more like, okay, we're still waiting for these randomized trials, et cetera, that's great. Well, I think one came out and was negative. Yeah, that's okay. right, yeah. I, I actually don't think it's gonna, I mean, my intuition is that we're not gonna see an effect, but- I guess that's like, let's us, that's always a safe bet because like most things most don't things work. Most things don't work. Know, that's the thing, most things don't work. But but here's what what's the, the, the what I think has gone wrong here. Monica brought this up on the show too, Don. Oh, yeah, yeah, is is that, so now what the press does is they've decided, okay, we're gonna take this kind of lefty stance because it has gotten politically tribal. Like it seems like righty people are really big fans of ivermectin and kind of a little against vaccine. Lefty people are like, ivermectin is horse tranquilizer or horse dewormer and people who take it are idiots and rednecks. In fact, the FDA said, you're not a horse, don't take this. That was like their campaign. Like this is so shamey and belittling to people. And so they've gone the opposite way. Right? They're, they're like, they're shaming people for considering looking at you know these sources on the internet that seem credible and considering trying to get ivermectin. Like this is insane. It's insane. I mean, yeah. ivermectin, um, there is a horse paste. Yes. And there's ivermectin, a drug that has helped a lot of people with helminth infections. And now you're years. stigmatizing it. Yeah. You're, stig you're actually stigmatizing a drug that saved how many millions of lives around the world. They're just, you know, the, I know what they're doing. They're leaning into the culture war. Yeah. Like they're leaning into this culture war yeah. and this culture war is red versus blue. Yeah. They leaned in on, they leaned into it on masks. If they hadn't have even drawn attention to what Donald J. Trump was doing with masks, it wouldn't have lit up on the left yeah. and become so an anathema on the right. Yeah. If they hadn't, they lean into every one of these decisions, masking school kids. DeSantis is doing something different than other states. He's not mandating it, but I I, I don't believe he's prohibiting somebody who chooses to do it to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly, but somebody could correct me on that. If he's, I don't think he's prohibiting it. He's just not mandating it. He's prohibiting people from mandating it. That's right. another can of worms. Right. I just like to just leave it all alone. Yeah. Leave it all alone. Or do it, and do a cluster randomized control trial while right. you're leaving it all alone. Right. Um, but but they have they lean into these things and now they're leaning into it like ivermectin, it's horse pace. What are they gonna do if actually 
What are they going to do if one of these randomized trials is positive? Oh, man. It's, it's oh my God. It's not like they're going to apologize. Not like they're going to print a retraction. I don't know what they're going to, but I think the distrust is going to, you know, the one thing that we were talking a little bit before was about like the roots of these problems. That's right, that's right. Let's talk about that. Yeah, like the, the, the roots of- The roots of our sense-making crisis. Yes. That's really what it is. We cannot make sense of things anymore. Yeah, we can't yeah. make sense of it. And here are the roots of it, I think. I think there are a lot of people who do science communication on social media who are good, um, but um, sometimes, th but but they're they're increasingly tribal, and they have difficulty with these new kind of concepts like you know a vaccine with the with this different age gradient and these kinds of things. Um, we've had years of income and wealth stagnation, worsening wealth crisis, a growing group of people who feel like they're being left out of society, and and those people are are less likely to accept things in the traditional canon like vaccines, and they're drawn to things like ivermectin, and then. You know, they feel like they're getting shit on by the media and things like that. I mean, we're just deepening all these things. Um, it is, um, it's, it's a, there, there's several roots of this. And I think one of them is the meaning crisis. So we no longer have religion as a source of meaning, really. Most people, you know, are, are much more flexible with that stuff. So what happens is society then shifts to finding meaning in tribal identification. And the internet then accentuates that by allowing people around the world proximity to each other. So you really get annoyed by someone that you would never have even been in contact with before. Because so much stuff is local, right? Like what happens in a local town in Texas, everybody mm -hmm. thinks kind of similarly. They're all behaving the same way with masking, but now they're on Twitter next to a guy who's like, wear your damn mask or, you know, whatever about abortion or whatever about whatever. And so these local issues now you're, you know, good fences make good neighbors. You've torn down the fences. Now you're just pissed at everyone. And then you form into tribes, which are, which are rewarded on social media, especially Twitter. So med Twitter is now this very lefty tribe of like witch hunting lunatics. Whereas before- As they see it. As the, as, yeah, exactly, exactly. And- and so, so it, it, we we find our meaning in these tribal identifications, yeah. and then and then it's all been weaponized through hacking our innate tribalism that social media does by rewarding our dopamine centers when we get engage in these things. So you put all that together, yeah, you you seem well to be at a threshold of disaster. But I would say this: I'm actually rather hopeful, and the reason is every time humanity seems to be at the threshold of disaster, we go from a caterpillar that looks like it's eating itself to death, destroying its environment, and is just the worst parasite, to suddenly a phase shift where the next paradigm emerges and it becomes a butterfly, where like the whole the tables are turned. It's now pollinating the same thing it was eaten. It's like this beautiful thing. We're there because we're seeing the failures of this previous paradigm this divisive paradigm. And people like yourself, people like Mandrola, who are actually saying, hey, wait, 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 wait. Like, let's point, forget, okay, we know what's right, rational people behaving rationally. I'm not gonna virtue signal and do, say the things that are good. Let's look at where we're wrong and try to see if we can write that. And the next way of thinking is much more inclusive, much more whole, much more real. And it will tip a culture change eventually to one of integration instead of division. Mm. So that's what I think is gonna happen. Wow, that's, I mean, so well put. And um, and I guess um, I do agree with you that I think like a lot of these tribes are, and even politics is filling that gap in our soul that religion once held. Mm. And I guess not to go too into it, but I'm, I'm kind of a religious person too. Mm. Uh, you know, you may be surprised to know because I'm also somebody who's a strict pure scientist. I'm not actually. You're not I'm surprised. Not, I'm not surprised. No, no, no. I find the most passionate people have some belief. I don't know what it yes, is. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and- uh, and I guess what I think is, I'm, so I agree with you about the problem and I agree with you the social media has exploited it and I think it's making it worse. 
The only thing I think is, I think it's going to play out differently. So here's my bet. No, I don't know. Here's not my bet. I hope it doesn't happen. I pray it doesn't happen. But I think it's a, there's a non-zero percent chance it'll happen. Here's what I think is going to happen. Like, I think we don't realize that democracy is very fragile. And I'm not talking about like the capital riots because I don't think that's how it's going to play out. If I were to guess how it might play out, I think what you see on the left, people whom I used to be, you know, I still am. I'm a progressive left person. Um, we used to be people who like stood for like, um, I don't agree with what you say, but I will die to defend your right to say it. Yeah. And we're not that people anymore. And in fact, a number of surveys show that our ability to tolerate social media censorship has gone through the roof. Like we're really comfortable. Like delete that guy's post. Totally. That's wrong. Totally. That's wrong. Mandrola yeah. says one in 1600. It's actually, I saw somebody say that like it was totally wrong because the real rate is one in 14,000. I was like, okay, what do you want? You want to you want to hang this guy for one in 1600? You think it's one in 14,000? Like, okay, close enough. I, I mean, you know. Yeah, whatever. come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, so I think like uh, like that 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 our, our tolerance of censorship is higher. Uh, I think our tolerance of of the brute force of government um, in times of crisis is higher. And you saw vociferous and passionate the forces of the left saying we want more lockdown, more restriction, more ma mask mandate, more of these things. And it was the right that actually went the other way. And actually, it didn't have to be that way. I mean, one could imagine that if Trump announced in March, like, yes, we're going to do shelter in place. And by the way, I'm putting the troops in the streets. Then I think the left would have actually. They would have flipped Revolted their view. It, yeah. yeah, and mm -hmm. they would have been the whole time be like, lockdowns are too much and too excessive. You know, they they literally anchored to, I think, the opposite of what he said. That's right. So anyway, here's what I think is going to happen. You Trump know, the, derangement syndrome. Yeah. yeah I think it, it's I, a real thing. And it's yeah. still going on. Yeah, it you is still. You yeah. don't cure yourself of that. You're always, it's a lifelong ailment. <laughs> It's like herpes. It keeps you know, it gives know. him, it gives Trump what he wants most to be thought about all the time. Yeah, he's yeah. he's achieved that. Yeah, yeah. marvelously. Yeah. So what I think is going to happen is, you know, the average flu season is about forty to sixty thousand deaths, roughly forty thousand deaths. There's inevitably going to be a flu season with, uh, you know, eighty to one hundred thousand deaths in the next fifteen years. And uh, if you had a politician in office um, who uh, was unscrupulous, this politician could do the following. They could say, look, um, by the way, uh, hospitals down there, they're overwhelmed, actually. Some pocket in America is going to have overwhelmed hospitals. Yeah. Why? Because ICUs always run at like very high capacity yeah. because that's how you keep the profit and nonprofit. Exactly right. So they could say you have overwhelmed hospitals and there's going to be some anecdote of a couple of kids who died. And then they're going to say, how many kids have to die? And the answer is even one kid dying is one too many. It's one too many. It is. That's what people say right now. That's why we have to, you know, do all these things. Um, so they say one kid dying is one too many. Hospitals are overwhelmed. We're announcing. I, I've called upon the governor to do shelter in place, and either he does it or she does it, or we're going to do it for them because we can't have this again. We can't have SARS-CoV-2 again. This is a national emergency. Um, and then, the, then the the, the government, maybe the governor will go along with it. And then they'll say, you know what? You have to install on your phone a tracking software so we know your whereabouts at all time because we can't have you breaking the rules of shelter in place, right? So mm -hmm. you can install that on your phone. Mm -hmm. And then they can say, you know what? Cases are still going up. There's still more kids coming in. Let me show you an anecdote of this boy not doing well, this girl not doing well. How can we live with that? Uh, we're going to put the troops in the street, you know, and we're doing this for public health. You like you asked us to do this last time. We didn't do it. We screwed up. We agree. We're doing it this time. And then they say, like, you go on Twitter and you say, this is too much. This is brute force. I don't even know how many people. What's the denominator? What, you know, how much of a risk is this? Then they say, you know what? Social media is over. You're shutting it down. That's misinformation. You're committing misinformation. You're killing people with your speech. You're dangerous. So you're not, your account is deleted. And if they won't comply, we'll storm their offices and we'll take over the social media account. And then the last thing you do is suspend elections because the constitution says the presidential election is guaranteed to occur on that date. But I don't think it mandates the path by which states pick the president. And the states can actually come up with delegates in other ways than a direct popular vote. And so I guess what I wish to portray in this nightmare scenario is that I don't think it will take that much for people to misuse the excesses of this pandemic um, to, uh, to really achieve whatever political dominance you want. And you don't need a bad flu season. You don't need a lot because as we see, you know, 
um, uh, how many, what percentage of the kids who are hospitalized require O2? What percentage of the kids who are hospitalized? You know, it, these statistics are very difficult to get. So all I need to do is just show you a few videos of a few kids on the vent and it's over. You it's have no done. fighting chance. And you can't even question my facts. You can't question the policy because you yourself have said, if it's a matter of life or death, I can censor your speech. So I will do so. This, this is how so many people actually feel and the mandates have made it worse. They actually feel that this is ultimately a, a stepwise end of democracy. Now, I, I, I actually think we'll wake up that democracy isn't even the right answer. <laughs> yeah, I see. Yeah, I think there's something transcendent of democracy. I don't know what it is yet, or else I would have already been advocating it. But I think that pure democracy in, in this sense has, has led us into a system where money determines who gets elected. The elected people are thinking only of their next election. It's a very distance. It's just like our fee-for-service right. medical system. But the one thing I, I remember this quote of uh, Princess Padme in Revenge of the Sith okay. as Palpatine's taking over the Senate. She says, so this is how democracy dies with applause, something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Because people have been so conditioned that at this point he says, well, we just need to do this for the safety of the empire. And yeah. they're all like, yes. That's well put. It's um, I just hope that the, the future autocrat that seizes power, I just hope they like me. <laughs> Hey, let's end by talking about Twitter real quick. Oh yeah, so tell me, tell me, um, what 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 the heck? So, so many people have hit, hit me up and they're like, if you have VP on your show again, uh -huh. you're you're basically complicit in first of all anti-vaccine sentiment. That's inaccurate. Yeah. yeah. Um, in 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 some kind of right-wing conspiracy. I'm progressive left. Um, and. I'm also really mad because he blocked me and I did nothing to him. So what's going on, dude? I guess, uh, <laughs> wow. I guess yeah. like it's it's funny that this is like the tactic that people use, which is the new tactic. Um, but I guess uh, you want me to talk about the block. I guess the blocking is like, um, why do I block people? I block people like uh, for being rude or uh, insulting um, uh, or not just to me, but like if I see somebody else, third party tweets something and somebody says something like super personal or caustic and not about germane to the argument. Block. I might just block him because I was like, what do I want to poison this person at my dinner party? Yeah. And that's the thing I think we forget. Like yeah. blocking is not censorship. You're free to go on Twitter and you go on your own feed and you can say whatever you want. And I can say whatever I want. Blocking is you're coming over to my dinner party and you're shitting on my rug. I mean, right. you're coming to my house right. and you're doing it right on my doorstep. And what I think is, and like, this is a tool that they've given that allows me to say like, you can do that wherever you want, but not on my doorstep. But then the second thing I would say is to be honest with you, like the most number of people, first of all, like I have, I think like a hundred thousand followers and like only like less than 1% are blocked or less than 2% are blocked. Um, and, and I would say the other thing is like, I like a lot of these people, they're like, why did you block me? And I was like, dude, I, I didn't block you. Like there are a lot of third party apps that block people. And what you do is like, if you find a tweet that you find is particularly poisonous for the conversation, you can click on that tweet and hit like nuke. And what it does is it like blocks anyone who supported this very caustic sentiment, including all the people who liked it or retweeted, et cetera. And I think it unfollows you. If you happen to be following them, it would unfollow that. And I guess, uh, you know, I've clicked on that button a few times. A lot of people with a lot, you know, when you get to a certain number of followers, you look at your feed and it's just a bunch of garbage. Yeah. Um, and so what do I think are like inappropriate? Like, you know, um, you know, like people, they, they quote tweet you just to drag in their own little army. They screenshot you and mischaracterize your argument because they 
don't appear to have understood it. Um, they uh, make it always personal, like you know something about you or something, you know. Right. And and to be honest, some of these people like blocking it does them good. Like like you're thinking about me too much, and I'm helping you cure yeah. you of your disease. Cure you of your disease. Your 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 VP derangement syndrome. Your VP derangement syndrome. Yeah. I don't know why you're suffering from it so bad. Um, that you're like researching my undergraduate and then disparaging everyone. Disparaging it. Everyone who went to that college. Right. Um, which, by the way. I done okay for myself since yeah. then. Yeah, <laughs> man. Mr. Yeah. UCSF. Yeah, hoity toity. Since since it was a good it books, was a, two a, books, yeah, all right, these papers. Sure. Yeah, it was like. A, oh, they, and, and, that, and that reminds me. Uh -huh. So I've noticed a lot of people who attack you, and th this you know doesn't happen to me as much because I'm an idiot. But you, okay, yeah, you write a piece in the Atlantic. Yeah, you've written two books. Yeah, you've have all these publications about this subject of. Evidence, data, evidence, yeah, yeah, evidence, right, yeah. evidence. Medical data like and kind policy, of what you do. And policy making, right. yeah, right. That's what I've always done. They'll bitch and moan at you. Yes. But not a one of them has actually done those things. <laughs> <laughs> they, not only have they not done it, they can't, they're incapable of doing it. So you could say, well, well you go and write your own Atlantic piece. Yeah. I'm not more connected than you. I'm just better than you at writing and at reasoning. If you're better than me at that, you can go and publish. I'm sure the Atlantic will publish it. Yeah, I'm but sure. But they can't. So to some degree, it's pure ego. And listen, I say this as someone who's, who used to be a lot more ego-driven than I am now. I'm still quite ego-driven, but back then I could recognize, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. I just feel it and I've had to work on it. But you see it play out in this yeah. projection on on social media. I think you your, your haters suffer from the same thing, which is this guy goes and he makes a video and the video runs for 40, 50 minutes, extemporaneous speaking, no notes, <laughs> eyes on the camera. And I don't think people, they don't have no clue how difficult that is. You know, it's the same for these late night TV shows like Bill Maher and Stephen Colbert. Right, like right. when they interview a guest, people don't realize it's so much talent to get this person to talk when you're supposed to talk and not talk when they're not supposed to talk and be interesting. And what I want to say is like, yeah, if you feel so strongly that we ought to mask all these two-year-olds, and you know what? I urge you to like ask yourself, why you're not going down to one? Then you write your little essay and you submit it to The Atlantic. And then, you know, you write your weekly column for MedPage and you write your books. And I think you'll find that it's not so easy for you to do these things. And it's a lot easier for you to like hate on me for doing these things. But if you really want to win the battle of ideas, which is what I want to win, I don't just want to win. I'm not, you know, what do I, you know, we all, we all live and die, but I want to win the ideas. Yeah. And, um, and, and for me, winning the ideas means, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy your arguments and I'm going to come at you in every which way. If I believe in something, I'm going to write a paper on it. I'm going to publish a peer review paper. I'm going to do an op-ed on it. I'm going to do a podcast on it. I'm going to do a video on it. I'm coming at you from all angles. And if you want to win the idea, come back, come back at me. At and I love it. It makes me hungrier. Oh, that's great. Oh, man. <laughs> I love that stuff so much. I mean, that's that's really that's really what it is, you know. Yeah, and you're right. You're right. I think there's a component of like um people people the Okay, last last thing I really want to yeah. say. Now, this, this is this is important to me. We don't change systems. We don't get to that next phase shift of turning from caterpillar to butterfly. You know, it's this interesting analogy, but that my friend Daniel uh, Schmackenberger actually makes. We don't get to that without waking ourselves up, yeah. like really being able to look inside and go, how what makes us tick? Like, what's what? How much of this is egoic striving? How much of this is you know? You, you mentioned that you, you're religious. I'm quite spiritual myself. Like, I'm trying to wake up as much as I can to what I actually am, which is not this stuff. And so what then, how do you operate in the world from that awakening? That's what transforms systems because then you have unlimited compassion, unlimited patience, and also unlimited 
emotional drive to do exactly what you're saying, which is win the battle of ideas when you really feel like this is a hill worth dying on. And I guess, why do I, yeah. And like, why are these the issues that I'm wasting, not wasting, but focusing on now? I'm still doing my other stuff, my right. cancer medicine stuff that I'm interested in. But why are these the issues is like, I don't know. I happen to be, we happen to be alive at this moment. We're called to do this now. I think we are. And yeah. you know why? Like, I, I really do think that if we go this whole pandemic and we mask very young children, we never do a cluster randomized trial, we will have done a disservice not only to all these kids, but a disservice to everybody who ever faces a pandemic. Yeah. I really do think if we go forward with boosters and there's a rare AE and it turns out that some subpopulation probably has a net deleterious effect, we've not just done damage to all those people who suffer the rare AE, we have poisoned the, the faith in vaccines for a generation. And so I think these issues matter. They matter a great deal more than the usual things I rail about cancer drugs, which do matter, but to less people people. And, uh, you know, we're in this position where we happened to uh, 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 be able to evaluate this evidence and reach our own verdict and feel and I feel like I'm not drawn by any group because I care very little about what other people's opinions are. I know very strongly what my opinion is. I trained for many years to read a big stack of papers and come to my own opinion. I don't think a lot of people have done that. I think they follow what other people do and that's how they arrive at their opinions. I know which of my opinions are based on bad evidence and I acknowledge that usually when I talk to people. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like, you know, you only get to do this once and you got to do it and um, you'll regret it if you don't speak mm. out on these issues. And I guess I would say for all the people out there who are quiet and they see John Mandrola get lashed um, and they feel like, um, you know, they don't want, they agree with John. They think he's a reasonable guy, but they don't want to comment because look what's happening to him. I was like, they, they need, he needs you to comment now more than ever. This is this is exactly what happens in witch hunts. Yeah. Yeah, the, the people who are on your side become quiet because they're afraid when that lens turns on them. And this is exactly the kind of behavior that Haidt talks about in Coddling of the American Mind, this this online witch hunt behavior. Oh, you're you're a heterodox thinker, yeah. you're violating the the dogma, <clears throat> you know. And this is exactly and these are the people who'll be like, oh, look at these two. They think they're so spiritual and all that. They're not real scientists, but they're the ones behaving irrationally. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love people take a crap on Fran Collins too for being an evangelical Christian. You know, and a scientist, and they think the two are so discordant. They're not. Yeah. They're not. They're really not. I take a crap on him for lots of reasons, but that's not the one. That's not the one. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not the one that I disagree with him. I think that I admire him for that, and I actually admire yeah. him for having said that. And yeah. I think he shows how you can reconcile those points of view. Right. His funding strategies, I disagree with. That. <laughs> right. 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 And that's the other thing is like there's there's not black and white thinking. Like you don't love or hate. Francis Collins. I, I don't have personal feelings. Yeah, right, right. I know. It's just, okay, here's the things that I love. Here's, here's the things I disagree with, so on. And that, that's how we ought to be seeing it. It's a kind of true but partial. Like, uh, the last thing I want to tell you about blocking. Oh, yeah. You know, I said many, like a couple, like a year ago, like anyone who doesn't want to be blocked, they send me a note and explain like, you know, oh, right, hey, yeah. I'd love to engage with you or like, you know, I don't know how this happened. And I'll tell you what, I after, ever since I offered that over the years, four people have done it. Yeah, that's it. Because, you know, a lot of people just, they just take satisfaction in- yeah. You know, uh, what is the word? What is it they always like to say? That like everyone who is blocked, they feel like the reason they were blocked was their own brilliance. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they always say that. I was just too brilliant for my time. That. I was too he brilliant. Couldn't he couldn't handle the truth. Br yeah, like, he, like, he was just looking around on the internet. He was like, this random person is so brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to block <laughs> them. You know what's funny? So now I have my app for blocking is my assistant 
who goes through comments and I've given her criteria. I okay. say, if it's all the same criteria you right. have. They're, they're ad vicious, vicious, ad hominem yeah. attacks. They're Creating attacking other people. Other people yeah. they're, they're crapping on my rug, man. Like the big Lebowski, man. This guy peed on my rug. The my rug, rug was, was like, pull the room together. Pull the room together, man. And this guy, the, hey, rug peers didn't do this, man. <laughs> so th this idea that then you clean up you clean up the room so that other people feel like, okay, this is a comfortable room I wanna be in. That's the, the sentiment. I wanna set an alt middle tone. People who think integrally can feel comfortable. If it's full of garbage people, garbage people's, yeah. I, I, let, me, let me change that. The comments, They're garbage not garbage comments. people, garbage comments. Yes. People behaving in a garbage totally. way. But yeah. what happens is then your followers end up arguing with these people. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's so distracting too. It, again, it's a dinner party. It's a dinner party analogy. Everyone is free to have their own dinner party. Right. But you don't have to come to my dinner party. Right. And harass my guests. And by default, because you're an idiot, your dinner party is going to suck and there's going to be three people there and they're and, all going to be assholes. And I was like, yeah. And the reason why you have no followers is your content offers no novelty, no ingenuity. You're not analyzing anything interesting. And I think that's And you're you, a terrible communicator. And a terrible communicator right, often. Right, yeah. right, right. Now, again, these are things you can work on. I know, but they don't want to work on it. You're not rather. inborn this way. You you can change, right? And, and the, oh God, the credentialism. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, that's so painful. Man, it's I know. Not of this, not of that, not of this, not of that. <sighs> Every now and again, I'll dip into credentialism in a bad way. Way. Like I find myself. I mean, we all do because, like, when you're angry and heated. When you're angry, yeah, and 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 you know the problem is when you're surrounded by highly credentialed people. Like, mm. you know, if you, if we had a dinner party, right? Who would show up? All these asshole professors and people with MD PhDs and all these people from these schools. And then we'd sit around. You know, can you believe like they're listening to this clown who like you know trained at X? And that's how people talk because they're in a way kind of defensive. They're also kind of sad a little bit that we kind of sacrifice so much to go to these schools and we're just the same as everyone else in the end, right? Yeah. Because it's true. And so we have to, again, like I say, I, I my little internal prayer is that I will be very uncomfortable when I do something that I think is probably not right or I self-deceive myself. And that's something I put out there. I've, I have fallen into that occasionally. Um, that being said, I think we did a thing here. It was good. Man, we kind of ran the whole gamut of everything. We always do that. Yeah. Like if our goal is to be viral, you don't do what we just did. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just you just talk about one thing and you inflame and you and you, you you make sure you go, I can't believe this is happening. But that's not our game. My, my goal is just to have a good in-person conversation, which is very difficult to do these days. It's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. Who yeah. want, nobody wants to meet in person and nobody wants to have a good conversation. Oh man, dude, every time I get a text from you and it's like, hey, I'm kind of in your hood, because that's how these things go down. You want to hang out, have coffee? And I'm like, uh, yeah. And can we do a show too? It's like, yeah. It's like a joy, man. Because it's, it's again, we're having a conversation. And, and you know, you and I even don't agree on everything. We don't have to. We don't have to. We 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 understand each other's motives are good. And I, like I told you not to get that tattoo, but you had to do it, didn't you? Listen, a male tramp stamp will be a thing one day. It <laughs> you really, just wait it out. When I'm 60. All fashion ebbs and flows. It you does. Know? It all it comes does. into fashion. When I'm 60 and people are like, you got a tattoo where? I'm like, yeah, right here where all the kids are getting it right now. And it's faded. And it's faded. And it says, uh, you know, follow the science. Could you imagine getting a stupid virtue signaling tattoo like that? Like mask or die or... <laughs> and then 10 years later when they find the mask... I bet didn't... somebody's gotten a hashtag follow the science. No doubt. Tattoo. No doubt, no doubt. I, I would get a tattoo that said follow science. Cause that, you know, not science, the, yeah. not the science, but science as an approach, I think is reasonable. Well, but I even mean, even that, there are transrationalist ways to look at science too, that yeah. that de defy rationality, but that's another conversation. Um, dude, all right. Uh, okay, you're, you will go check out your YouTube, just search Vinay Prasad on YouTube. I'll put a link, I'll put a okay, link, I'll put a link. I'll put a link about all the other stuff. I love you guys. I love you guys. Love you VP. We're out, peace. 
hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.